are facing a mental health crisis, and it's more important than ever to have access to the support we need. That's why I'm grateful for BetterHelp, the largest online counseling platform in the world. BetterHelp is changing the way people get help with life challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to licensed therapists. With BetterHelp, professional counseling is available anytime, anywhere from your smartphone, computer, or tablet. If you're looking for support, sign up today at BetterHelp.com. Use the promo code SOLVINGHEALTHCARE to get 10% off sign-up fees. That's BetterHelp.com, promo code SOLVINGHEALTHCARE. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Quadcast Nation, I am extremely excited because we have Dr. Megan Walker, who is not only mad entrepreneurial, former practicing naturopath, but author, podcaster, everything. I'm going to call you Slash because you just like cover all the all the things, as they say, all the things, young lady. So um, I'm really glad that you're on the show. How are, how are you doing, first of all? I am so great and completely jazzed to have a conversation with you. Yes. This has been a long time coming. I, I am uh, I'm pretty excited. We got to make a, uh, an appearance on your show, too, which was what the rumor was, was uh, at least the 14th most popular show that you've ever had. So we're getting there. But um, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so great to see you. I, the reason I, I really wanted to get Megan on the show was she not only, I mean, all things, dynamic, wonderful, full of knowledge, but she could, she put this idea that planted in my head that I could not let go of that we in healthcare aren't providing people with the means to thrive. It's all about like, hey, can we just survive? That's not good enough. We need to thrive. So tell me more about what motivated you to to cover these topics. Yeah, well, I appreciate that question. And, you know, I think just this idea of advocating for for people thriving. The, I mean, this is my jam. The, the thing I would start to realize when I would see patients in practice, and I really do believe that, you know, Andy's played a really important role in the in the healthcare conversation because the people who walk through our door are either those individuals who go, 
I have nothing left and no one else to turn to. No one can figure out what is going on because our system is not necessarily amenable to the amount of time and multifaceted needs of those uh, of those patients. It's not a blame thing. It's just a reality. So those individuals would come in. The other cohort that would come in is this group of people who went, I'm told I'm fine and I'm not. And so I, I created for myself this sort of paradigm, this understanding, and I called this thing the line of fine. And what I realized is that most of my patients were coming in because they had been released to figure it out on their own at the line of fine. And the line of fine goes something like this. It's like you're completely exhausted. You, you go and have a blood work run. The blood work comes back. It looks normal. You're told, you know what? You're, you're fine. We think it's, we think it must be stress or you should exercise more. You've got three kids or you're getting old. You're fine. Or, you know, you've got lower back pain, but there's nothing on, on the x-ray or the MRI, you're fine. You finally go on a biologic for your autoimmune condition and you are no longer symptomatic, but you kind of want to deal with the prevention. Stop being obsessed, Megan, you're fine. And those conversations, I do not believe are happening because the traditional system is like, that's my standard for life. I believe a huge part of those conversations are happening uh, because we just don't have the capacity or the training or the bandwidth to take people past the line of fine. But I really contend that millions of people every day are are dropped at the line of fine uh, and they don't know where to go. And the thing I think we all need to recognize is that one, there's this huge number of people who are like, I want better. Like I want to have better health than this. Like there's nothing we should want more as practitioners than a patient who's self-advocating for like, how do I get even more health, even more energy? How do I get more to my life? Like those are our ideal, our, our ideal patients. But conversely, like if we were just going to have a conversation about economics, how do we address all these people being dropped at the line of fine and have the foresight to understand that if we don't change something about their lifestyle, they're going to be right back in those doors again on a five-year timeline, a 10-year timeline, a 15-year timeline. Literally, people are begging for something uh, more. And if we were able to have the foresight to be able to give them the knowledge to thrive, I believe that it would save our system millions of dollars a year. But I also believe it would move us to the top of the line when it comes to healthcare standards in the world. I really, truly believe this is a missing piece. You are throwing down, young lady, because this is, I mean, this is right where healthcare needs to go. We, we're, we're good at the life and death scenario. You come in yeah. with a heart attack, you come in with a stroke, you're going to get world-class world care. But it's when you leave us, mm-hmm. or even when you're on the brink of needing to see us, we... I mean, especially in the current healthcare crisis, like that ability to be fine or thrive mm-hmm. has dissipated significantly. So, I, I guess my question is, Megan. Actually, first of all, what, how do you, how good can we have it? That's I guess one of the questions that we have. We have so many people that are living, you know, stress. They are minor aches and pains and we so many of us just feel like that's a natural path to to aging or this is this is life but does it get much better than that 
Yeah. Like what if we, what if we turn that on its head and instead of saying, you know, oh, that's just, that's, that's just perimenopause or that's just getting older or that's just having kids or that's just, and we went, oh, that's the body trying to tell you something. What do you think your body's telling you? Like the number of times I would ask my patients, what do you think's going on? I mean, I'd always have a subset that would look at me and like I was out to lunch because they're like, well, I'm paying you to answer that for me. But there was about 70% of my patients that would look with me with this sense of relief where they went, I know exactly what's happening and I've never said anything because no one validated that. I was dismissed in that. And so, you know, I think that there is so much opportunity for optimized health if we start to normalize optimized health. But what we've done is we've normalized the symptoms. We've normalized painful aging. We've normalized the stress. It's just stress. Okay, like what are all the tools we have to manage stress? And, you know, I think part of it is when we start to have more conversations around prevention, around thriving, we can we can start to be more nuanced. It's not helpful for a family doc with five minutes with a patient to say, you know what, maybe you should try meditating. Like meditating is a level 10 move. No one starts with meditation. I don't want to start with meditation. Like even I've got baggage around that. So, you know, I think that, you know, as we start to have more of these conversations and we normalize it and we become experts in facilitating thrive care medicine, we are going to start to have tools and nuance and language and evidence for how we move people closer to that state of thrive. But if people believe that the aches and pains are normal, there is no incentive for them to reach past a bottle of Advil to feel better. They don't even know that that's possible. And so part of part of our job, I think, as you know, leaders in healthcare is also is also to push that is also to explore what that that looks like. I just I just got a new trainer and a new nutritionist. And I, I spent the last 20 years in this medicine. I was like, no, I want someone to take me to a new edge. I want to feel what a new edge is like for myself. I think that when we, when we start to acknowledge and get curious about what health can look like as health providers ourselves, it opens up a whole new world of conversation. The vision is, is, is beautiful. I must say as a, as a guy that is now middle-aged, oh my God, and broken all the time, I feel like, <laughs> the idea of I am not immune. <laughs> but I also know that's not the standard. No, this is what this is why I'm getting a bit optimistic and and excited about our conversation cuz what's the roadmap to to this? Like you, you kind of alluded to as healthcare providers increasing the awareness that we can aim high when it comes to optimizing folks' health. But you also mentioned you know, we can't go straight to Suggesting level 10 activities such as, I don't know, diving into a cold ocean or ice ba- ice, ice bathing. That's the latest I've seen on my IG feed all the time. But yeah, where, where, how do you see this road, the roadmap to, to try and address some of the, these issues? Well, I think so much of it starts with uh, the work that you're doing and cultivating curiosity and access to the people delivering care. So, you know, one of the things that was most helpful to me in my career is when I would have uh, healthcare allies who were pressed for time, who were managing the sickness and the acute side of care, who would reach out or who would refer, or who created uh, a a conversation based in curiosity around what it is uh, that I do. 
What is very challenging for patients is when they feel like they are navigating the road between divorced parents, when they feel like they cannot communicate to their traditional physician's office about their own curiosity with respect to health. I think before we can get into any kind of advanced moves or tactics, we actually need to cultivate a curiosity on both sides. And this really is a both side conversation. When you spoke at my event, Impact Lives, and we had an audience full of functional medicine practitioners and naturopathic doctors and chiros, one of the things that was really powerful in that room is that that group of individuals who have dedicated their life to preventative health felt legitimized in that moment. They went, holy smokes, there is a medical doctor on stage who's like, you guys have got some mad skills. And part of that lack of legitimization has come from an ongoing fight in their career for validation in these conversations. And as long as that is continuously happening, it is very difficult for patients to thrive. And I think that is the elephant in the room around this conversation. There are pockets of people who are madly supportive. There are also individuals on both sides of these paradigms of care who are not open to conversations, who don't make the situation better. We need more people to have curiosity and courage in the middle. Say, tell me more about your practice. Let me learn more about how you are regulated. Everyone in that audience was highly credentialed and regulated in terms of the type of work that they do. And I think when we can open up and start to have some of these conversations, conversations based in curiosity, conversations in, let me give you a shot at this and let's see what we can do for this person. Now we can start to bring more nuance to the table because we're working together as a team. But I, I, you know, I really feel that this piece needs to be uh, acknowledged because in the absence of this, uh, we, we can't deliver the best possible care for patients. No, it, it's, I'm glad you said it. It is the elephant in the room. We're, I mean, I'll speak from the MD side. We poo-poo anything that doesn't come from us. And we're not a very open-minded group of folks. And so anything that's against the grain or anything that's novel, there's an instant wall that happens that that comes up. And from my perspective, it's always been the idea of is whatever that's brought to the table. Number one, I don't know everything, right? So like to pretend that you know everything is, is ridiculous. But then also, is it is it going to be harmful? Is, is mm-hmm. it going to be harmful bringing uh, whatever, whether it's naturopathic, chiropractic, whatever uh, functional uh, medicine practice, is that going to be harmful as far as I know? And if it isn't, why not try? There's so much we don't know, like especially when it comes to personalized care. Like people don't realize this, and I'm, forgive me for preaching a little bit, but when you have a a study, like when we say, oh, aspirin is primary, uh, uh, aspirin is good for this intervention, for example, that's in a population of people. There's going to be people that it doesn't work that well for, and then there's going to be a group that works really well for. But in our studies, we rarely ask that question of who is it going to best suit? And right. and so there's, to me, in medicine right now, there's so many question marks. And to add a practice, especially when it, there's like 
no harm. Why not explore? I, I, I really think, Megan, you are absolutely correct when you say this is one of the areas that we have to overcome. Yeah. And listen, I understand where it comes from on both sides. I mean, I've met practitioners where I'm deeply confused about where they are, where they are coming from and how they got to that conclusion and decided on that intervention. I mean, I've had those experiences. I've also had experiences on the other side where an individual is so close minded and I'm like, Oh my God, like we could help this person. So you're out of options, but give me six weeks with this individual. And I promise you will be seeing a different patient. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think that the leaders on these respective sides understand and can operate with a level of discernment where we can have exactly the conversation you just had. What is the harm? Let's actually understand from a systems-based biology perspective and physiology perspective with this patient. Let's talk through a mechanism of action that exists outside a pharmaceutical intervention. Let's look at what's going to happen when we modify diet. Let's talk about how we can work together as a team. And yes, I understand that that will take time. It will take time away from a really busy practice on one side. It also takes time away from a practitioner who is not compensated on salary on the other. But I believe there are leaders in the middle who are like, I am, I am willing to come to the table to start to find answers and solutions, to start to amass a new body of evidence, a new body of evidence that looks at patients starting at the line of fine, patients who are not forced into making these decisions. Because there's a lot of people who are like, I don't want to stop smoking. I don't want to eat that food. I'm not interested in the kale salad. I will not exercise. Cool. We, I get that. But for those people who are like, I want something more, I'm willing to be part of that conversation. I think there are leaders on both sides of the table who are like, I have something to lend to the validation of this middle ground. And how exciting is that too? Like just having more folks that like not only feel better, but it would, it would bring more excitement to, to health, I think. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like when you have, I don't know, I even... I don't want to go for the term biohacking is annoying. I don't know why I find it annoying, but it, it, it's descriptive. <laughs> but, but some, I think that's what a lot of folks that are in that biohacking space is they're trying to do is trying to mm-hmm. improve their functionality to prove how, how well they feel. And I must say a lot of those topics are fun to talk about because if you even get that 1%, 2% improvement in your whatever exercise tolerance uh your sleep whatever uh, reduce your stress whatever it might be that that sometimes that can compound and I, I, to me i mean we're, when i was on your show we were, it was very covid centric but this was also uh in my mind a lost opportunity for us to be getting talking about the excitement of getting healthy especially when we knew the consequences of not being healthy but yeah man like i i really think this would allow us to build that momentum and get some excitement around feeling healthy. Well, and you know, the irony as you're saying this, I'm literally sitting here, I'm holding, I don't know if your people get video. I've got an aura ring on, I've got my whoop, I've got my Apple watch. I'm staring at my red light therapy right there. And I've got like a home sauna blanket folded up under underneath. Like the thing is, is that, you know, there, there is, 
you can cultivate excitement around some of these pieces. I said, I, you know, I have a new program that I'm working on. I just came back from um, running an event in the US. I was like, my, you know, my HRV has been really, really low. I'm curious about that. Was it the margarita I had at the pool? I'm pretty sure that was, that was part of it. Was it being off of a sleep routine? Was it, I was curious about my own health. And, and in turn, what that did is it, is it enabled me to take responsibility for my own health. And listen, I've got like a million years training in this, but bringing in tools that enable me to look at my health objectively, what it also does is just, it hands all the power back to me. Imagine for patient, imagine if like part of the Canadian healthcare system is every patient's given a whoop and they're taught what their HRV is. They're taught that when they eat a big bowl of pasta and no protein for four days, their recovery drops. When they start eating salads and a higher quality protein, their recovery increases. Imagine patients were able to look at their own data mm. that way. I don't think that health has to reside in the hands of experts all the time. And when we're talking about health on the opposite side of the line of fine, one of the opportunities here is that we are starting to empower our population to take control of their health at a whole new level, at a whole population level. I was listening to Peter Atia talk on a podcast today about, you know, just how inaccurate our readings are of blood pressure and how critical and vital it would be if patients actually understood how to take their own blood pressure when they're not stressed sitting across from their physician, when they have 12 readings, when they understand what those numbers mean. It's, it's a really critical feedback loop. I think the thing about the biohacking industry that I find fascinating is that there is a novelty to it. And what happens when there's a novelty to something, aura ring, whoop, like data, is it releases dopamine. And dopamine gets you excited. And suddenly I'm excited and interested in my health. I'm way more interested in my HRV and my recovery and my responsibility in that than I am about reading the meditation book or listening to like the 10. I love to meditate, but like, again, level 10, there's no dopamine in that. It's not exciting. The average person's not like, oh yeah, let me go meditate. But they're like, what? I have like a tool and I have numbers and I can see how that changes. Like that's really exciting and fun for people. So, you know, I, I kind of love where that industry has a potential to lead us as it pertains to handing health back to an individual. You bring up so many great points you're making. The number one, I just got to give some love to when I got to try CGM, uh, continuous glucose monitor, and how right. fascinating it was to learn where the, like what foods, how you slept really affected your, your, your glucose control. And and it was empowering. Just like, as you said, it was empowering to know that if I had that big dose, uh, big pasta meal, I, walking it off, literally going on for a walk can mitigate some of that. Having a big leg workout can mitigate some of that. Like all these little things you learn from getting that feedback. It was unbelievable. And the, the other thing that I, before I forget too, I got to say that when it comes to self-empowerment, I do think AI will help that tremendously in, in the next, you're going to see that in the next, I don't know, not not in the distant future where patients will know, know this shit. Like they'll know what this stuff means because the chatbot will tell them, hey, mm-hmm. based on your HRV or uh, heart rate variability, 
you need to sleep, yo. You probably need to sleep. You need to recover and so on. And and so they'll come to the physician's office or the clinician's office saying, hey, mm-hmm. this is what the feedback's telling me to do. What do you think are the next steps? So like people will mm-hmm. be more empowered. But before, uh, I feel like you want to say something, but I just throw this out in the in the, in the world. But moving forward, what are other kind of principles do you think about that will allow people to thrive. Cause yeah, that principle of self empowerment is, mm-hmm. is, is big and powerful, but yeah, I'm just wondering if you had any other high level concepts that you think would lead to, to more people thriving. Yeah. You know, one of them is that I think we need to acknowledge that sitting across from a physician of any sort of, of any credential is not always an empowering position for patients. So we tend to think of this as the be all and end all. And, you know, part of this, you know, lifting off that question is I really believe the way we deliver care is as important as the care we deliver. And so we had this, we had this history. I think all of us did as clinicians of like it, it being massively annoying when patients came in and they have Googled everything. And you're like, I spent 800 years in medical school. Like, honestly, please stop Googling. I believe that Googling is a rite of passage for a patient. When your patients are Googling, I want you to know that that indicates an entirely new level of interest in personal health. We need to acknowledge that that is a symptom of empowerment, not necessarily something to move away. So, you know, part of the new edge is we've got all the devices, but the other element is how do we deliver care in such a way that our mechanism of care delivery is part of the care itself? So, you know, we've got patients, especially on the opposite side of the line of find that first phase is like, let me start to look into this more. Let me hang out on Instagram. Let me see what happens when I take out gluten, even though my physician said it wasn't going to make a difference. What happens if I stop drinking milk when, as it pertains to my acne? What's going on with my continuous glucose monitor? It's okay for people to look into all those things on their own own. And I would argue many people want to, it's a vulnerable moment to sit across from another clinician and have to, um, bear witness to your soul to, to tell complete uh, truth. I, you know, I say to naturopathic doctors all the time when we're discussing the quote unquote intake, they're like, we have the best intake. It's an hour and a half. We'll ask you everything about your health. And I will say to them, has it ever occurred to you that maybe someone doesn't want to talk about how their, their marriage is falling apart or they use alcohol to fall asleep at night, or they had an abortion at 16. These are not things that necessarily everyone wants to bring up. So I think, you know, collectively in medicine, we need to recognize people want to do things on their own. So how do we advise them? What tools do we hand them so they can do this safely? I think one-on-one care can become a last resort. It's when we need that absolute strategy. We need that absolute handholding. But I believe things like group medicine, I believe things like online programming with appropriate uh, regulation, I believe things like health memberships where people can access more information about the health and the meaning of their data. I think all of these things starts to hand back. Um, it empowers patients. It hands back control, which we all know is important to healing, uh, healing outcomes, and again, alleviates pressure off of the system. So the innovation is not just going to come from AI and tools and like 
all the things that we're wearing on our arms, but it's also going to come from us delivering care through an entrepreneurial lens. What are the other ways that we can talk about health to patients uh, that doesn't disarm them, that actually empowers them, that moves the metric without the most expensive people in healthcare always having to be the gatekeeper of better health? Wow. This addresses a few things. One, we all know there's we're lacking family docs and such. So like this is a, a key a key component of that. Two, acute like address like having access to a lot of these specialists, that's not cheap. So to be able to avoid these things potentially downstream, I, I think is is excellent. Three, we had Dr. Michelle Paris in the mix talking about group health. Yeah, you which, did. <laughs> Honestly, I think is the future of healthcare, and she she's great. For, by the way, y'all need to check out her podcast. But yeah, I, that is all. These points are so so great, and, and I think too about even what you're saying about control. Like that's what is the hardest for folks. Like I think about them at the end of their life, or when they have a diagnosis of a terminal illness. That lack of control is what I think a lot of patients have a, a, a real struggle with. And so anything that can harness that, uh, you know, I, I, I think is empowering and it's healing even, you know what I'm saying? So yes, who? Uh, I feel like you, your next role should be minister of health with all this um, bold and wonderful ideas. Like, are we missing anything else? Uh, Dr. Walker, I don't think so. You know, I've, I have a I have a big vision for what is uh, what is possible for healthcare in Canada. I think it needs, I think it needs an entrepreneurial lens. I think there is there is room for us to attempt some level of innovation. And listen, like as I talk about these things. I am not naive to the fact that these approaches and these opportunities are not things that are going to work for everyone. But I think, you know, we've got our sickest patients. We have our most high needs patients. We have patients who who don't have access to uh, the education required to take those next steps. We also have huge numbers of people right now who are equipped and ready and wanting to move in that direction. And and really galvanizing galvanizing that state of readiness for the, that population, starting to amass new evidence for innovation and in how we deliver care. I think we are really on a precipice of not only a need for that, but an appetite for that. And that's the part that I'm really just truly so excited about. Wow. Wow. We will. Do you see why I needed to have Megan on the show, folks? Do you see <laughs> now why we had to make this happen despite this? Being, I don't know, six months in the making. Megan Walker, number one, thank you so much for coming on the show and just giving us hope, giving us a roadmap for where we think healthcare can go and also motivating. I think those that are listening to this are going to be feel reinvigorated to take ownership of their health and, and you find the tools that they need to be able to do that and Oh, and so many things that we talked about were just they, they they get me excited about where we can go. But Megan, how do people learn more about you? Give a little plug for where they can find the book. Every everything, Megan. 
Yeah, thanks. You can uh, you can head on over to meganwalker.com. You'll find links to my book, uh, Impact Medicine. It's a new roadmap uh, for how we design uh, care to make it more accessible to patients. And I'm always talking about health strategy uh, over on my Instagram, which is just at Dr. Megan Walker. Bam. You got it here, folks. Megan, we love you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you also... Thanks for inviting me to Impact Live. That was too much fun. But uh, you're welcome anytime you want on the show. And hopefully we see you in Ottawa. Thanks, friend. You absolutely will. Quarkast Station, that was the bomb. That was fantastic. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Megan Walker. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok at Quadcast. Leave any comments at Quadcast99 at gmail.com. Make sure to leave that five-star review. It helps with the visibility of the show on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure to sign up for that newsletter. Qualcast.substack.com has our courses, has our blogs, has our video content, workouts, meal plans, all on one site, folks. So jump on the train. All right, folks. We love you. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.